So we're going to be in Luke 13, starting in verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when the Apostle Paul went to Ephesus and preached the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, he caused a riot. I'm going to preach against some idols of culture this morning, and I'm praying that it does not cause a riot. Um, this morning we're not talking about Artemis or witchcraft, but I am talking about current idols of things like busyness. For some of you, maybe workaholism or a selfish ambition or a consumerism that always wants more. Um, some of you may be a people-pleasing that keeps driving you and driving you and you feel like you're on a treadmill of people-pleasing and it can never stop because you're afraid of giving anyone the wrong answer. This morning, if you're just joining us, we're going through a short series on following Jesus. We believe that Jesus was the Son of God. We believe He came to this earth to live the life that we should have lived and to die the death that we deserve to die, but in our place to set us free from brokenness and sin and even death itself. So we're going through right now a series of 10 practices, 10 habits, things that Jesus himself did, but also things that Jesus taught his disciples, that's just a word for followers, that he taught his followers. These are what you do. This is what it looks like to be someone who is walking in my footsteps. And this morning we're coming to an interesting practice, but I think that one that's very important to our culture, which is the practice of Sabbath. I'm going to give you, because it's five P's here, just kind of so you can track along with me where we are in this message, where we're going. Um, Jesus and Scripture give us a pattern of Sabbath or rest, a purpose a prototype, then pressures, like what makes that hard to do and actually practice, and then we'll end up with some just practical practices of Sabbath. How do we do that, okay? So beginning with the pattern of Sabbath, if you go all the way, I'm going to be sharing a lot of scriptures this morning. In the very second chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, we read this. So God has created, and it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. 
And even later in Scripture, like if Exodus chapter 31, verse 17, we read, In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And that's interesting. It says literally he Shabbat, which is a word that means he ceased, he stopped. And refreshed is literally a word for like he took a breath. I wonder if you've ever done that where you've, you've worked hard on something, you've, you've maybe you've created something, or you know, in my case, it's like you mow the yard and try to get those, like, those crisscrossing patterns, and when you're all done, just kind of stepping back and looking at that pattern and just being like, that looks good. That's good. Or even, like, I love to smoke large chunks of meat, you know, and you've been smoking something for like 10 hours or 12 hours, and you finally pull it off and let it rest and unwrap that foil and just look at the beauty that is like the 12-hour smoked Boston butt, right? And just, it's that cease and take a breath. And what I want you to hear that as I'm looking at this first point, which is the pattern of Sabbath, God isn't resting in the way that often we rest, like we're tired, He's not tired, he's triumphant. He's not exhausted, he's actually exhilarated with his work. And the Bible says he's pausing, he himself is pausing and setting this habit, this pattern of just like, it's okay to finish working on something and step back and say, that's good, that's beautiful, that's right, that honors God, that, that helped people, okay? So, I want you to understand that Sabbath began not as a law, not as a command, but simply as a pattern, simply as something that God did. And I would say, not only is it not a command initially, I would say it's a gift. It's a gift to stop and rest and be intentional about thinking about this day or this part of my life is intended to look different than the rest of my life and every other day. Now, when it first becomes a law, you'll see God points back to the pattern. So in Exodus chapter 20, second book of the Bible, so now God has delivered his people of Israel out of literal slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years, and he's taken them to Mount Sinai, and this leader, Moses, receives the Ten Commandments. Everybody's probably heard about the Ten Commandments. In the middle of that, here's one of those Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, says, "'Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy.'" Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, for for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And I emphasize that word for because... Not only is God giving a law and saying, you need to do this, you need to rest, you need to see it as the gift that it is, but he's saying for, and he's giving you a reason or a purpose. And that brings us to the second point. What is the purpose of Sabbath? Why does God command us to rest? And by by the way, I think that's interesting. You'll see in a lot of places in scripture, God gives us a pattern. And he's just like, here's a gift, here's a pattern. And we we don't pay attention to the pattern that's there for our good, for our benefit, We ignore the pattern, and God has to make it a command, not because he's against us, not because he's just trying to steal our joy, but because he's like, you're struggling to see the gift that I gave you, so I'm going to actually command you to receive the gift. So that's what he's doing here. 
He's commanding them to receive this gift of Sabbath. And remember, or notice here in Exodus 20, he points back to four in six days, God created the world and everything, and then he rested. And so you should rest as well. And that gives us the first purpose of Sabbath. And I have, I have five of these in Scripture, and I think this is really cool. I used to give three, and now I've, I've found five. So this message will keep getting bigger and bigger every time I talk about rest. The first purpose of Sabbath is simply to reflect on and delight in God and his good gifts. We are so busy with our lives, some of us, or so frustrated, or so frazzled, so worn out. It takes an intentionality to just stop, to reflect on God, to reflect on whatever gifts he's put in your life, relationships, tangible blessings, maybe the provision of a job for some of you, and you're like, God, I just want to thank you for that. I just want to reflect on that and your goodness to me. And instead of just racing off to the next thing, just pause, take that breath, delight, think. A number of years ago, I climbed Long's Peak. And we started at like one or two in the morning. And it's miles and miles and miles, 4,000 feet and change of elevation gain. So you're, you're doing all these switchbacks in the dark, going back and forth through the woods. You have no idea where you are. Finally reach this fork in the road at Chasm Lake. You take the right fork. You go up over Mount Spalding, across this infamous boulder field, through the keyhole, across the ledges, up the trough, across the narrows, and then up the home stretch. Okay? And it's like five or six hours of just strenuous hiking nonstop in the dark, in the cold. And I look back now, and this was probably 14, 15 years ago that I did that. I got to the top, I took a couple pictures, and I headed right back down. Part of what God's saying is, like, when you have worked that hard, don't just take a couple pictures and head back down. And I wish now, because I don't know that I'll ever get up there again. I wish I had just stopped and done kind of what God did is like, let me take this in. Let me take that breath. Let me delight in this gift of how beautiful it is up here. And yes, it took a lot of work to accomplish this, but let me delight in, reflect on God. And my first question is just, are you too harried, too busy, too stressed with uh, genuinely difficult things in your life to just deliberately kind of hit the pause button and say, okay, God, you invite me to be still and know that you are God, and I'm going to do that today. Just quiet my soul to delight in you. Okay, purpose number two, let's go on Exodus 31. I'm kind of going through these chronologically as God reveals them to us. So we go from Exodus 20 to Exodus 31, verse 13, the Lord says this, you shall keep my Sabbaths for, again, for reason, For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Now notice, not just the law. Here he says it's a sign. Here he says it's symbolizing something. And so the second purpose of Sabbath is to signify our dependence on God's grace rather than our own performance. See, when he says, Remember, stop and remember that it is I, the Lord, that sanctifies you. He's saying, I'm the Lord. I'm the one. You you know that change that you need to happen in your heart and in your mind and in your life to bring you out of sin and brokenness and fear and frustration and doubt into a place of wholeness where God has rescued you? 
He's like, you need to stop every week and remind yourselves you're not generating all of that by your own work, by your own performance. You're stopping and saying, Lord, I just trust you to do that work in me. Did some fascinating reading a number of years ago about the glymphatic system. Okay, be honest. Raise your hand if you know what the glymphatic system is. Yes, of course you do. I see that hand. Um, this is like the coolest thing. So, you know, you can, go, you can go weeks without eating if you have water. And you can go many, many days without food or water so long as you are sleeping. The, the fastest way for your body to pass, just naturally devoid of one of the things that you need, is to not sleep. So within 48 hours of not sleeping at all, your body will begin to shut down. Because what? what? What happens is when you sleep, and it's a particular kind of sleep, it's called deep sleep, and there's like REM where you dream and certain things are going on physically in your brain and in your heart and all that, and there are rhythms and body temperatures going up and down and all these different things. But in this, in this certain cycle of sleep called deep sleep, do you know your, your brain is flushed with this cerebral spinal fluid that takes toxins and kind of protein waste out of your brain cells and flushes them. So think about that. When, when you're deep sleep, so it's like the kind of sleep where you, you're paralyzed, like you can't even move, you're, you're, you're worthless. <laughs> you're not doing anything. God is doing this work of flushing out something bad to renew you so that you wake up like literally a person with cleaner cells in your brain. Well, I think that's an illustration of what he's saying here is you stop and remember, it is not you working, 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 working all the time that is flushing out the toxins of your life and sanctifying you, making you holy, making you righteous before God. I can do things while you sleep and are doing nothing for me that physically illustrate this spiritual truth. And we want Sabbath to signify that, like, Lord, it is not up to me. It is not up to my work, work, work to make me holy, to make me like Jesus. I'm going to work, and then I'm going to rest, and I'm going to trust you to do this deep soul work on me. Okay? Reason three. Let's go on. This is a new one for me. This is really cool. Um, Leviticus 25, verses 1 through 7. And if you can turn there, you can turn there. But I will also read all these verses out loud with you. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. That's interesting. He says, for six years, you shall sow your field and for six, you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field. You shall not prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself, for your male and female slaves, and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. I'm going to pause there and just say, if you're like, am I hearing this correctly? Well, if, here's the picture. He's saying, for six years, this land that I give you, you, you can sow it and you can you know, tear up the earth and make those rows and plant that wheat or plant those vegetables, plant all that stuff, tend your gardens, 
tend your vineyards, do all the things for six years, then year seven, stop and just let stuff grow wild. And whatever comes up on its own, let it bear its fruit and let the fruit die and go back in the earth. Am I reading this right? Like how would these people eat if they were just doing that? And then I was like, I think I need to read more context. So I read more context. So jumping to verse 18 of Leviticus 25, he clarifies, he says, therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? That was my question. (laughs) If we may not sow or gather in our crop, what are we supposed to eat? He says, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. So the third purpose of Sabbath, the Lord is saying, is so that we declare our trust in God's provision. This is a way to declare, I am not trusting just the labor of my own hands, the labor of my own mind, the labor of my farming implements. I am trusting God to provide for me. Now, here's something interesting that we know now. When land lies fallow, in other words, you have a crop, and then after so many years, you just don't do anything with that land. That year of doing nothing with the land puts very important nutrients like nitrogen back in the soil. It restores the soil's natural water content. It, gets, it, it breaks up the cycle of pests, like bugs that are laying their eggs in the soil. It breaks up the cycle of earthborne pathogens that are multiplying in the soil. And basically, the land is renewing itself. So that when in year eight you go back to planting, now you have way healthier crops and way less pestilence and way fewer pathogens than if you had just charged ahead to do your own thing. And by the way, I think that's fascinating that God gave a Sabbath not only so that humans can rest, but so that the earth itself rests. And it's a little bit of a glimpse of the future when God says, behold, I make all things new, including the earth one day. He's giving us a picture of just his, his love, his care for humans in the earth. And by the way, I don't know that people fully understood what we understand scientifically about fertilizers and letting land lie fallow and all that. And so I think another reason that I'll sneak in here for Sabbath is that you're able to declare a trust. Like God said to do something, and I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust him. And I'm not just going to work, 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 or be frustrated day after day with, like, where's my provision going to come from? He's like, when you literally stop and choose not to perform, not to prove anything, not to produce, and you turn that day and just say, Lord, I trust you, I'm delighting in you, I believe you, I hope in you, he's like, then I'll overflow your life. Because you've expressed what's most important, which is this trust for God. He's taking care of me. I don't have to do my own ingenuity all the time to make things happen. I can rest. Now, reason four. We're still going forward. Deuteronomy chapter five. And this is what's known as the second giving of the law. So Moses got the Ten Commandments. Then later on, they've got kind of a new generation of Israelites Many of them are forgetting the law and kind of doing their own thing. And so there's repetition or a rereading of the law with some interesting 
changes or nuances to it. So Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 16, is a repetition of the one of the Ten Commandments, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. So he's repeating himself so far, but then he gives a different reason. He says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. What's the therefore about? What's the for about? Well, the picture here is God's reminding the children of Israel, the people of God, you were slaves. You were slaves under Pharaoh that was the king of Egypt, and he demanded from you, relentlessly demanded, you work, you perform, you justify your existence, or I will kill you because they weren't producing enough for him. One gentleman that I'll quote a few times here is named Adam Mabry. I recommend this book to you. It's called The Art of Rest. And he says, rest is the privilege of sons, but only the dream of slaves. The privilege of sons, but only the dream of slaves. Because if you have the kind of taskmaster who will never take his foot off the gas, so to speak, and hit the brake and say, you can rest, but it's like, always justify your existence, always more, always better. Build the pyramids, do the things. You can't rest. But God is telling the children of Israel, he's like, but I'm not a taskmaster like Pharaoh. I'm not that kind of God. And so the fourth purpose of Sabbath is literally to celebrate our freedom in Christ from every form of slavery. It's to declare, I'm not enchained to that thing. I'm not in bondage to that master. I am free in Christ because God has set me free. So God's like, stop working. Celebrate your freedom today. And how many of you, like, again, not, not raised hands, but how many of you do that? That you're just like, I'm stopping from the normal business and frustration and stress of my week and just saying, God, I want to celebrate my freedom. And I know that thing's right around the corner and I got to deal with it tomorrow. But today... I'm going to celebrate that I don't have to justify my existence with my performance for you because you're not that kind of God. You're not that kind of king. And we need to learn to act like sons and daughters and actually rest sometimes. Tim Keller says, anyone who cannot obey God's command to observe the Sabbath is a slave, even a self-imposed one. Your own heart or our materialistic culture or an exploitive organization or all of the above will be abusing you if you don't have the ability to be disciplined in your practice of Sabbath. Sabbath is therefore a declaration of our freedom. It means you are not a slave, not to your culture's expectations, your family's hopes, your medical school's demands, not even a slave to your own insecurities. I love that. You're free. Okay, then one, one more purpose that requires a little bit of explanation. So we know from the book of Genesis, we know from Exodus, the verses we just read, God intends rest for his people. He really does. He intends rest. But we come to this place in the story shortly after the verses that I've already read for you where it says a generation of Israel did not enter into rest. And what that's a picture of is God saying, I'm leading you to this promised land that I've given you, and I'm going to do all these things for you if you trust me and, and rest your lives in me, 
but they rebelled against him. They did, they did their own thing. They didn't trust God to provide for them. And so they're, they're afraid. They're grappling with all these fears of like, well, the people in the land are bigger than us, and I don't know if the land can meet our needs, and we're just going to stay here in the wilderness. And so the Bible says they didn't enter into the rest of that place that God wanted them to enter. They died in the wilderness. Whole generation didn't make it. Well, Hebrews 4 in the New Testament picks up on that idea, and it exhorts us, make sure you don't fail to enter into rest. Okay, and you're like, is he talking about the exact same thing? No, because verses 9 through 11 go on to say, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Well, what is that, what is that future rest that God is saying, make sure you keep on a path where you enter that? He's talking about final salvation, where we're home, not in the, the physical geographic promised land, but we're home forever in this place that the Bible calls heaven or the new Jerusalem. And he's saying, make sure you don't stop short of entering into that rest and keep Sabbathing until you enter into that rest because you're pointing to that ultimate thing that you are striving for. And that's, that's kind of an interesting paradox, strive to enter rest but we can fall short of that in many ways. We can fall short of that by just choosing to work, 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 be frazzled, 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 frustrated all the time, stressed about everything. And you're not entering into rest. You could also fail to enter that rest by settling for a lesser rest of just passivity. It's a life of like nothingless, meaninglessness. And he's like, don't fall short, strive to enter the rest. And here's kind of your final purpose of Sabbath then is to be, Sabbath is to be a foretaste of future glory in the presence of God. A foretaste. So it's not the main meal. But family, every Sunday as we meet together, there should be a little appetizer. Like this is what we will be eating. This is what we will be doing. The kind of delight that hopefully your heart encounters as you pause and prioritize like worship with God's people, fellowshipping, encouraging, and investing in other people around you, in your family, that's all a foretaste of the future glory in the presence of God. So are you deliberately doing things each Sabbath to kind of whet your appetite for the future feast? Are you doing things in your life right now to stir up your resolve to never give up faith, never give up hope, never give up love, but keep pursuing those things in spite of how difficult life is? I love this part of like the idea of foretaste. I'll give you another analogy. It's, it's like going into the future and taking a snapshot of that future rest and bringing the picture back with you and posting it on the wall and saying, that's what's coming. That's what it's going to be like. And I'm going to keep looking at that, and I'm going to keep acting like this is true, and I keep working toward this thing that God wants me to ultimately one day rest, not just my body, but rest my entire soul, my entire life, just entrust it to Jesus Christ. So that's the purpose of Sabbath. Quickly, the prototype. I won't take long for this, but what we've been saying throughout this series is Jesus is he's the Son of God. He's the Lord. He's the Savior. He's also a rabbi. He is literally a teacher that people apprenticed themselves to. And these other 12 disciples followed him around everywhere for three years, and they observed his life. 
And by prototype of Sabbath, let me just share with you what Jesus did with his Sabbath. Because if you're just like, I want to follow Jesus, well, then here's four things you could do. Number one, Jesus worshiped and taught on the Sabbath. Mark 1, Mark 6, Luke 4, Luke 6, Luke 13. Time and time again, we find Jesus going to the local synagogue, which was like their old little Jewish church, basically, and he read scriptures, he heard teaching, and he taught others. He worshiped with the local community of faith. That's what Jesus did. So you want to be like Jesus, and you want to Sabbath like Jesus, it's great to worship with your community of faith, to teach, and to be taught. Okay? Very simple. Now, here's one that's fascinating. Secondly, what Jesus did on the Sabbath was he healed. Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. And there are 10 major stories that if you're familiar with the Gospels, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that tell the stories of Jesus, I never realized until I went back to this point and studied each of these healing miracles, how many of them happened on the Sabbath, where the writer of the Gospel made a special point to say, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus healed this person. So you've got Matthew 12, Mark 3, Luke 4, Luke 6, Luke 13, Luke 14, John 5, John 7, and John 9. And I can pass these along to gospel communities this week. One of them that we read together this morning is in Luke 13. And something that I wanted to point out about that particular one, some of you may still be turned there. Why are these other people so mad at Jesus because he healed a person on the Sabbath? So you've got a woman who has a malady, an infirmity, something that's stealing her fullness of life for years, the Bible says. And Jesus just looks around and is like, all right, I know what I'm going to do. This woman needs help. And they're like, the religious leaders are staring at him intently like, you're not going to heal her, are you? And, And some of these other stories, they're literally like, Jesus, there, there are six other days of the week. You want to heal? And for them, it would have been, you want to heal on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday? Have at it. You do not heal people on Saturday. And hopefully that doesn't sit well with anybody because it didn't sit well with Jesus. And what I love about this particular story, remember when I said one of the purposes of Sabbath that God explicitly told his people in the Old Testament is, I brought you out of bondage to break your chains, to liberate you. Sabbath is a day of celebrating the fact that you are free from the things that you could not free yourself from. So isn't Jesus literally doing that in a woman's body? I am breaking, you can read, you can read the language in the text that we read. I'm breaking the bondage of something over you so that you are free, you are healed. So do you think that woman then on that day saw Sabbath in a new light, which was actually the old light of the Old Testament of this is what Sabbath is for. And Jesus loves stuff like that. But he's just like pound sand, you guys. Like, I don't care about your stupid rules. If your rules go against the purpose of the Sabbath, I'm not playing by your rules. I'm here to heal people. I'm here to break chains. I'm here to set captives free. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Now, I know probably most of you don't have the gift of healing, but there are ways that you can say, would it bring healing to someone's life if I showed up in their life in this way today and make it a purpose of your Sabbath to do as Jesus did, to set other people free on the Sabbath? 
Thirdly, here's an interesting thing that the prototype of Sabbath did. Jesus feasted on the Sabbath. Like Luke 14, verse 1. And some of you may have grown up in very traditional cultures, and I don't, I don't like that word because I'm not against tradition, but some people's tradition was like, Sabbath is boring, you don't feast, you kind of, it's like meager, and, but you don't see that in the Old Testament, actually. It's not a day of meagerness and stretched thin, and we just don't have anything. It's literally like, if you're delighting in God's good gifts and celebrating God for his good gifts, then he shows up and he's like, let's feast on the Sabbath. That's Okay. And then one more thing that Jesus did with the Sabbath, and this one I'll take a moment to explain. Jesus relativized the Sabbath. Uh, Mark 2, beginning in verse 23, says, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees, those were religious leaders, were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what King David did when he was in need and was hungry and he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said this to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So I said, Jesus relativized the Sabbath. What I mean is Jesus shows up and he says, the Sabbath doesn't exist for itself. And the Sabbath, or you, humankind, do not exist for the Sabbath. It's not like here's this standalone rule, and this standalone rule is ultimate, and you have to bow below the standalone rule and say, oh, the Sabbath is ultimate. He actually flips it around and says, no, no, no. The Sabbath was made for humanity. Humanity is ultimate, the Sabbath is penultimate. So if you're looking at Sabbath and it's just another day where maybe even your own self-made rules and practices for the Sabbath, you're like, this day is exhausting every week. And you're exhausting other people around you every week, then you're missing the point because the prototype of the Sabbath said, this, the Sabbath exists for you, okay? So, so don't set rules around something that's meant for rest and refreshment and make it just another rigid day of legalism. Now, why do we struggle to hit pause? I'll call this the pressures of, against Sabbath and just share two, two, two of these. Because you may be sitting there and just be thinking, but, but, but like, I, I can't. You don't understand my situation. I'm an entrepreneur, and so am I, and so is my wife in it's hard when you're not just going to a job and like punching a time clock. And I think one of the, I think we will look back and one of the maybe not helpful things about the pandemic on top of everything else is that everybody moved their work home, many of you, and then got on like a computer or got on the internet and just kept doing your thing. So now there's no longer like an office that you go to and then leave your work at the office and go home. Work just spills over into the rest of life, spills over into your evenings, spills over into your weekends, spills over into your Sabbath, and it's hard. Adam Avery says, whatever it is that you're thinking about right now that gets you off the hook of taking Jesus' call to rest seriously, it's probably the thing you actually love and worship more than Jesus. We refuse to rest because at some deep level, we're convinced that if we stop, the thing for which we're really living won't be fed, pleased, or procured. If you're happier at work than in Christ, rest will never feel good. 
If you're more of a mother to your children than you are a daughter of the king, stopping may feel like sin. And that points out two things, just two pressures that I'll share. Number one, the first pressure is this internal pressure of insatiable desires. And what I mean is we are a society that we always want more. More money, more possessions, more success, more experience, more experiences, more pleasure, more fun, more popularity. And so we feed this insatiable thirst for more, 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 more with just, I'll just work a little bit more, just a little bit more. I'll just network a little bit more. I'll just, I'll just get our kids involved in one more thing, just one more thing. It's just one more team, one more rehearsal, one more practice, one more commitment, just one more. And some of you, that people-pleasing thing is like, I just want one more person to affirm me. I got to show up that I have fear of missing out. I got to show up to one more thing. And God's like, no, you don't. You don't. Most of you need more. You certainly don't need to be basing your identity and how you view yourself based on like, my identity is my performance plus my possessions plus how much you affirm me. And instead of finding who I am in Christ and saying, I'm a child of God, I'm a son of God, some of you daughters of God, adopted, loved, set apart, you're thinking who I am feels like little more than what I do plus what I have plus who likes me. And the Sabbath is an opportunity to break that toxic cycle and say, I'm not going to do that. And a little test is you could just take the top three things that consume your time, whatever those three things are, and ask yourself, if I lost those three things, couldn't do those three things, who am I? Not what would I do, but who am I? Who am I without my job, then my other job, then my family? And if you're like, I don't know who I would be, then here's an invitation to stop that rat race of pursuing an identity in the latest successes and failures. Rest in Jesus' performance for you. Let him say what is true of you. That's the internal pressure. We always want more. And let me just acknowledge the other pressure is an external one, I think, the external pressure of just cultural norms. And I look out there and I asked a rhetorical question this week. I was like, who in culture, just like Western progressive American culture, who is modeling Sabbath in healthy ways? And maybe you can come up afterward and tell me something that you've seen. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it at all. I have not seen a celebration of hard work followed by a celebration of stop, take a breath, and live for these purposes. I haven't seen it. The Lord's Day is just another day to our culture. It's another day to get work done, to sleep in, to brunch with your friends, to cut the grass, to swing the golf club, to drag your kids all over town to 47 sporting events, and then you're back to work tomorrow, and they're back to school tomorrow. And this is literal for us because, like, if you see Micah this morning, like, pat him on the head. No, he would hate that. Pat him on the shoulder and uh, say, like, bless you because, he, like, he missed a hockey tournament game this morning that was very, very important to him. And I was just thinking, our culture just drives and drives and drives and drives. So kids, most of them, you go to school Monday through Friday. Friday night, you have two hockey games. Saturday, you have another hockey game. Sunday, you have another two hockey games. Monday, you're back to school. And I'm like, where's the rest? What are we modeling for our children 
When it's just like, go, 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 drive, drive, drive. Another performance, another thing. Okay, great, you were good enough at school, and I'll get your things on, and let's like run out the door for another performance where you can justify your existence and all the money we're spending. And is that setting our kids up for success? Mabry says the nonstop pace of Western world life is neither physically sustainable nor spiritually beneficial. It is, however, a remarkably effective way to slowly forget God. And maybe that's just the point. You know, church, you have an opportunity to be incredibly countercultural because you have immense pressures to just treat the Lord's day like any other day. But to stop and say, you know what, I'm not living for me today. And maybe what I do is like I open my home after church and I invite other people over, some that I know and I haven't seen in a while. I need to reconnect, some really good friends, some new folks that I don't know. And maybe we just all rest and feast and rejoice in God together. Because you won't lose anything by resting that you need to keep. And you won't gain anything by overwork that you won't one day lose, maybe. All right. Very simple stuff here in closing, the practice of Sabbath. This is not about legalistic rules. This is not about a day of the week. It's not about a rigid list of practices. I'm going to give you two do's and one don't, and we're done. Do adhere to a regular rhythm of work and rest. Do adhere to a regular rhythm of work and rest. And the first thing you heard me say is work and work hard and work at things that matter. Work at things that align with God's purposes for your life. And I want all of you, whatever stage of life you're at, to, to go after a job maybe. Or if, if you can't find a job that's paying right now, to work with friends, work with people in your community in a way that says, God, I want to glorify you. I want people to see you in my life. And I want to give back to help other people in my orbit flourish that they, they be blessed because of something that I'm doing to invest in their lives. So many of the Sabbath commands start with, remember, six days the Lord worked. So you're supposed to work six days. And it's a cycle. See, we can, we can fall off the other side of this. There's workaholism over here, but there is a laziness that just says, like, I, my life doesn't have any purpose, and I'm just not going to work. Well, you, you can't Sabbath from already resting in unhealthy ways. The idea is to work and work hard and work at things that matter and then pick a day. Sunday probably for most of you. That probably makes sense. My Sabbath is not on Sunday because I work on Sundays. Some of you think it's the only day I work. I promise that's not true. Okay. Um, usually Friday is my Sabbath. That's why like a lot of you will, like we even had a situation this past week where it's like, I didn't hear back from you on Friday. It's because I'm, I'm deliberately away from my email and the normal business of my life. But build this rhythm of working hard and then stopping that. Principle two, do not do your regular business during Sabbath. Don't make it just another day to get stuff done. Don't do anything that's going to leave you more exhausted, more stressed out, more frustrated, more dependent on your own performance rather than more dependent on God. Here's a rule of thumb that I found helpful. If you work with your mind, rest your mind. If you work with your body, rest your body. What I mean is like if you're cutting down trees all week, do not use your Sabbath to just do your, all your yard work. Because that's just another day of the same thing. If you work with your mind, and what I mean like you're a doctor, you're an accountant, you're a teacher. So you're not 
like physically engaged in the same kind of labor, but your mind is going all the time, then for you, the Sabbath may be cutting the grass because it's a shift. It's a rest for the thing that you're working, working, working all the time. And that's just a rule of thumb. It's not a law. It's something I've found to be very helpful because I work a lot with my mind and rest for me can very often be doing something like a long trail run or fly fishing with my kids where there's a, there's a bodily engagement, there's a hike to get in and a hike to get back out, but it's a complete different business to center around some of these purposes of God. So don't do your regular business during Sabbath. Then one more do. Do look for ways to practice the biblical purposes of Sabbath. That's not putting yourself in a straitjacket for a day of sheer boredom. I remember like as a kid reading A Little House on the Prairie, and it's like we rode the wagon into church, church was boring, we ride the wagon back home from church, and we just sit. And it's like, can we play outside? Can we run around the house? No, you cannot run around the house. And they're like, can we, uh, what can we do? Okay, you will not find that pattern of Sabbath in the Bible of just creating sheer boredom for your entire family. And that is not a way to stir up their love for Sabbath and their appreciation of Sabbath as the gift of God that it actually is. Um, But it's also not being lazy and just lying around and doing nothing all day like, ah, I felt so good to just, I don't know what I did. That was 24 episodes of The Thing on Netflix, and that's not a purpose of Sabbath either. But you could rehearse what I shared with you earlier of like looking for ways to worship, to delight in, to enjoy God and his gifts, and to say thank you. Looking for ways to exercise dependence on God's spiritual and physical provision. To say, I'm not going to produce today. I'm not going to justify my existence today. I'm going to just thank God and do less and trust him to provide for this upcoming week. Thirdly, celebrate some freedom. Maybe it's freedom from addiction. Maybe it's freedom from workaholism. And part of celebrating that freedom is actually like, you may feel like, I... I got all this stuff I got to do, and it's hard for you to celebrate, and you're going to have to get in a habit of celebrating that before it feels right, but it is right. And then finally, I would say focus on relationships and holy pleasures. Rest is a rebellion of grace against the siren calls of both personal idols and a consumer culture. And for you to be able to just hit pause and say, I'm going to, as Jesus did, I'm going to spend time with people today. I'm going to spend time like feasting as it were today. There are holy pleasures in my life. It's not my normal business. I'm going to do that today. While remembering there's an ultimate Sabbath rest that's coming one day. That's God's work, not my work. I close with the words of Jesus where he invites every single one of you, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest.